In a 2013 episode of the American TV show The Doctors, ER physician Travis Stork explains you need to apply pressure to a wound, not just cover it up. So you're going to find where that wound is, you're going to apply direct pressure, and what that's going to do is it's going to prevent the great majority of blood loss, and you hold it. Today on Stories and Strategies, it's the same in communications. Sometimes when there's a pain point, you need to apply pressure. Just be sure it's to the right spot. My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Dr. Meadle Viz, joining us from just outside of London, England, in Luton. Hello, Dr. Viz. Hi, Doug. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm glad you could join. Dr. Viz, you are a clinical fellow who has been working the front lines in London hospitals within the NHS system throughout this pandemic. You also have a podcast called Menal's World, in which you hope to challenge conventional thinking about and raise issues relevant to South Asian people worldwide. So, Dr. Viz, I'll just begin with how you came to my attention, which was through Twitter, which sort of sets the context for for the opening, at least. On December 27th, from what I can see, there was a conversational thread, which you didn't start, but it was asking hospital workers what would make their work life easier. And your response verbatim on this note Remove anyone with the title communications manager. If a registrar has to arrange the rota for an entire department on top of their job, we don't need to pay someone £30,000 to update the hospital Twitter feed. Now, this didn't go viral. I don't want to mischaracterize this, but it did strike a nerve with many professional communications uh, personnel. uh, And I recognized names. There's there's people I know that listen to this podcast. So simple question, I guess. Did you really mean it? Well, Doug, firstly, I want to say thank you for taking the time to engage with me constructively. I really do appreciate that. I also feel that I need to also mention that I am duty bound to say that these are my views and my views only. I'm not here to represent all doctors across the NHS, but I also feel that I have a wider responsibility to discuss uncomfortable topics during the pandemic because... We're here to rebuild the NHS. We're here to to make sure that we work in a constructive way. So uh, terms and conditions apply, read the small print, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I I also fully understand that maybe to a section of the audience, it might feel like you've platformed like Alex Jones or something. And (laughs) they're probably thinking, well, why why is she here? But I appreciate the chance to discuss um, important issues. And I I really hope that by the end of this, we we can make progress, uh, which is all, all I want. Um, so going back to your question, Doug, did I really mean it? Now, on this thread, there were many other responses, which were suggestions that we, we always hear, right? Um, but I felt that it was important to emphasize the fact that doctors are burdened with nonsense admin. And I feel very strongly about how, as doctors, our time is spent doing the work that other people are paid to do, like doctors rotors, for example. So to understand my my tweet, Doug, I I think it's important to to give you some background on myself and and my husband. I'm not just a doctor. (laughs) As you mentioned, I I host a podcast and my husband and I have been working in this realm for for many, many years. Uh, We created websites many years ago when, in fact, this was our sort of side hobby. It's during medical school. I know you might ask, did you have time for this? Well, we did (laughs) because we, we had a passion for 
for putting out the right information and speaking truth to power. Um, and we realized that doing this online was probably the best medium to connect with a worldwide audience. And between us, we had hundreds and thousands of followers across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we understood the importance of communication. Now, we're not qualified in communications, but I can say with confidence that we have the experience of it. Consider that as doctors, we empathize plenty. Our bread and butter is communication. As doctors, we have to break bad news as well. We have to co communicate complex medical plans, not to our, just our patients, but to their relatives who are in distress as well. We also have to communicate these complex medical plans in very simple terms. So one moment I'm talking to the father of, of a child, and then the next minute I have to turn around and say the same thing, but in different ways, but to my senior consultant doctor. So we're always pivoting with our communication, and it's something that we do on a daily basis. And good outcomes happen because of good communication. So to answer your question, I stand by what I said. And I feel that as doctors, we always go the extra mile. I, I mean, even now in the pandemic, we're seeing what doctors are going through. But forget the pandemic, Doug. Let's go before the pandemic, years before that. When I started off as a doctor, I would spend my weekends in the hospital. I would spend extra hours. I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I had a good night's sleep since I started working as a doctor. We will happily work with rotor coordinators who are qualified to do these jobs. We will happily make our patients cups of teas, but we never want a pat on the back for it. It's just part of, it's just, you know, it's just part of our, of, of our being that this is what we want to do. We want to help. And I feel that we don't receive the praise that we deserve. And again, this is even before the pandemic. But when we speak up about something that bothers us, it almost feels like everyone is ready to jump on us. Mm. So, so, and I will get to the the nerve that was hit because I'm part of the communication, the professional communications community, and I do get the the nerve that was struck. So, I will get to that, but I want to first ask about some of the responses that you've gotten. I can see online uh, the criticisms, and I can see that you've gotten support as well in response to those criticisms. The negative comments, as one can imagine, um, if you select the worst ones, they are quite blunt. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with small children within hearing range, lower the volume for just five seconds. That's all. Uh, there's, a, there's a bad word. One of the tweets that you received said, quote, you're not a change maker. You're a shit stirrer. Put your spade down and stop digging. For for a second, Doug, I was like, "Whoa, that that's not a nice thing to say." <laughs> um, you know, not a nice thing to say to a doctor who's spent the year and even before that trying to to help colleagues. You know, I protested outside Downing Street, and I, I, I've been working to to hold the government to account and working on different campaigns to make sure healthcare workers are protected. So to receive a comment like that for a second, I felt, "Wow, why would someone say that?" But then. I realized that actually I'm quite happy with this response and I'll tell you why. Because Doug, this encapsulates the point I'm trying to make, especially with that specific tweet. It seemed very organized, the responses, not that one specifically. It goes back to what I was saying where it doesn't take a second for people to praise us, but when a negative comment wants to come in, everyone is ready to jump. And the responses I received that day seemed very organized. And it seemed a bit bizarre because it was a bank holiday. It was a public holiday that day. 
So technically, nobody was at work. I would assume communications managers. I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for them. I'm not sure what it's like during the pandemic, but a lot of them usually do have a day off on this day. And everyone came to me with a very similar reaction at the same time. And it seemed very organized. And it feels like everything is, is centralized because if I want to speak up, if I want to say something, I have to go by the communications team. Mm-hmm. And this response, this specific response you mentioned, Doug, and I'm glad you chose this one because it's a snapshot of the kind of feedback and responses that my husband and I have been getting from our managers throughout the year. And I, I want to keep it short again. And again, I want to remind you, that this is my own personal experience. I'm not speaking on behalf of, of all doctors, but just to give you a bit of context of what my husband and I have actually been doing over the last year and, and the kind of experiences we faced uh, throughout this uh, pandemic in March, I was six months pregnant and I was working in the hospital. I was expecting my first baby. And I remember I had to set the alarm a bit earlier every morning because I had to budget time on my commute to work because every five or six miles I had to stop and I felt nauseous. I was vomiting. Um, and this is the, the kind of routine I had every day. Uh, we were working 10 hour shifts. I was pulling by the roadside to, to, to be sick. Um, my husband was working in A&E. And we were both working in acute settings, but my husband was was definitely more in the thick of it because I was I was a bit further away from it all. He knew something was wrong. He'd been following the pandemic from the very beginning and he was seeing how it was being spread across the world. And he knew doctors were being infected with COVID. At the same time, we were seeing how our protective guidelines were being changed. And that made us very uncomfortable because we knew sooner or later, NHS doctors and nurses would start dying. Now, Doug, if you were in that position, surely you would say, well, if I feel like I'm going to die, I need to say something, right? If my the nurse I'm working with is at risk of dying, I need to tell someone about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see how important communication is to you. Um, in fact, you produced a really touching video message while you were pregnant speaking to your unborn daughter, Radhika, intended as part of um, your efforts to raise awareness um, uh, about inefficiencies and, and, and problems within the NHS system. Dear Radhika, in just 63 days, this is going to be your new home. I hope I get to show it to you. Look how beautiful this is. My favorite places and all my favorite people. You see, you're arriving at a very difficult time. The number of people killed worldwide in the coronavirus pandemic has now passed 250,000. People are dying. I can't breathe without this. (laughs) The world is at war. And the people on the front lines aren't soldiers. The people like your dad. And people like me. So I'm leaving you this message, just in case. Doug, I I made this video just 
two months after I protested outside Downing Street. And so when I protested, it was along around the same time when my husband and I started our legal challenge to hold the government to account um, for the deaths of healthcare workers across the country. At the same time that we were doing all of this, uh, my husband was still working in the hospital and there were nights where he was coming home from long, long days at work. And instead of enjoying a cup of tea together, he was he was just in distress. I remember one particular instance, Doug, he received a phone call from his hospital communications team. I think it was about 9 p.m. at night. It was a one time we, we had a chance to just go out for a drive and just get some fresh air. And he was warned not to mention where he worked. And I feel like this is a very poor way to treat someone who'd given six years of service to a hospital. I mean, he, my husband is a kind of guy who will go out to the supermarket, he'll buy chocolates, and I think it's for me, but he's like, actually, no, it's <laughs> it's for the nurses. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know? And this, this is the kind of, of doctor that he is. And in, in early, just imagine, Doug, in, in early April, a pregnant nurse at my husband's hospital had died. Um, her, her name was Mary Adjapong. Uh, she was my age. She was only 28 years old. She never got to see her daughter. And... It was, it was the most tough, tough, toughest, it was the toughest time. I mean, I feel that it could have been me. We were helping families who were devastated. We were helping families through the most difficult times of, of their life. My husband at that time promoted a, a fundraising page for Mary. And we helped promote this on Twitter and social media. The very next day, his hospital started following on Twitter and they were keeping an eye on him. How, how do you think how do you think that makes us feel that we're out here trying to do good for our community for our colleagues and then this is this is this is what happens and this is what I want uh, this is what I want an answer to that doctors from across the country were getting in touch with us to tell us of their experiences similar experiences and it seems that there was a concerted effort to silence doctors I understand I well I understand as best I can is the best way for me to put that because I'm not a physician on the front lines right I hear the pain point. I I empathize with the pain point. If, if I may, as a communications professional, you're just in your tweet. You described an individual earning thirty thousand pounds a year or forty thousand dollars American. Let's say that's an entry level position. Someone doing their job as directed, and then they see this tweet. They have an extremely thin line of decision making in what they can and can't do, however intended. And I get the pain point. Your words triggered another pain point within those people. So my question is, did you stir the right pot? I I understand what, what you're saying, Doug, um, because Twitter, again, is, well, any social, any social media platform, even WhatsApp, you know, communication on, on, on the internet is always, is not, not a great way to, to communicate. However, I still feel that I did the right thing. And I still stand by what I said. Working, working as a pregnant nurse on the front line, I can't explain what it's like. And I'm saying this and I'm getting goosebumps, Doug. I remember driving to work, not knowing if I'll come back out alive, not knowing if I was going to go into work and end up on a ventilator because I didn't, I didn't feel protected. And when I wanted to speak up, the first people to bounce on me were my communications team. And I think it's important to understand that what I'm trying to, the, the message I'm trying to, to put across here, Doug, is that we are a team, right? Communications, managers, CEOs, nurses, doctors, we're all working together for 
the same uh, reason. Our goal is the same, to protect patients and for the betterment of the British public in our case. If I come to my manager with a problem or with an issue, surely there should be there should be no question about it. Surely you should say, look, what can we do to help you, Mino? Communications should be about breaking barriers and breaking obstacles. However, especially during the last year, I felt the complete opposite has been done. Instead of breaking barriers, I feel more barriers have been put up and people are trying to, to silence us during a very acute uh, time of distress. This is me talking in March and April, and now the conditions are much worse in hospitals, Doug. And I have seen online, I have spoken to colleagues, comms teams are stopping the media from talking to doctors. And you have to ask, why? Why is this happening? Surely, if you were open and honest, you would happily allow doctors to speak to the media. Is there something that they're trying to hide? That's my question. I, I'm not sure it's quite as simple just as just allow doctors to speak to the media as one could imagine. Um, doctors represent only their individual view, and yet you also carry the NHS brand. And, and how people perceive other doctors is dependent on how a different doctor representing that brand, intended or not, has spoken. And therein lies the one of the deepest challenges in professional communications is representing the brand and actually living up to all the values that you've just described, that everyone's on the same team and trying to do good. And, and that's that's the hard part here. I, I do feel that communication managers and, and doctors can work together. And the only way I feel that we can improve is if we speak to each other and we sit on the table and say, okay, how, how can we make this a safe space for debate rather than trying to bring each other down? Because yes, you are right. It is a very touchy subject and it can get personal, but we have to zoom out and understand that what we're trying to do is for the betterment of the NHS or the betterment for the brand, as you, as you said. So I would also just like to add that I am genuinely sorry to those communication managers who work with doctors and have made things easier for them. I'm sorry that if you if you were upset by these comments, because I know there are good people out there. I know there are people who are working their best, but I felt that I had to use that moment to express how I felt, especially during a global health crisis when doctors need uh, the, the most uh, support. And I know that these there are there are people out there who listen to doctors, and and they do exist. So I do see you, and and I do hear you. You, um, you, you might have done this already. Um, NHS is inevitably going to do countless uh, internal feedback groups uh, on how the communications went, on how different things went. Um, uh, you may have already volunteered to be part of one of those internal feedback groups, but you have a strong voice on this and you listen well at the same time. Just my encouragement to be part of any kind of internal feedback group. Well, I, I haven't heard of these, Doug. Thanks for bringing that up. It's something I'll definitely look into because I feel there are so many lessons to be learned over the last year. And I feel like now is a time where we can really work on, on rebuilding the NHS into a much better system uh, so to make sure that everybody who's in, in this system is working happily and working to the best of their ability. Well said. And I really appreciate your time today, Dr. Viz. Oh, thank you very much, Doug. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Dr. Menal Viz, you can email her at info at That's in the show notes, of course. And you can follow Dr. Viz on Twitter at MenalsWorld. Next week, we're going to have a look at how COVID has impacted healthcare communications professionals 
particularly within the NHS with Professor Anne Gregory from the University of Huddersfield. We would love it if you followed us on Twitter. It's at comms underscore podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive those updated episodes automatically. Also hoping you choose to follow and rate this podcast on any directory. And of course, do us a favor, recommend this podcast to one friend. If you have an idea for an episode, you just want to tell us something. Send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.